Easter. So Jesus has failed. For all the talk of his coming kingdom, for taking disciples and people away from their families and their livelihoods, for all the teaching on this thing called the kingdom of God, he has failed. It has been all a sham and a fraud. And as we gather here today, we would celebrate the fact that the chief priests and the Romans have won. Or so the chief priests and Roman authorities would have you believe. Because when the um, soldiers realised that the tomb was empty, there was panic. Because this was significant. Jesus' death and crucifixion had been significant. And so the fact that a heavily guarded tomb was now lying empty wasn't going to end well for the soldiers. And so a plan was hatched. And money was given. Bribes were offered that the soldiers would go about spreading this news um, that, you know, the disciples had carried the body away, that it was gone, you know, uh, and something had happened, but that Jesus had been killed. So they would have us believe. But as we get into Mark's account of what actually happened following Jesus' crucifixion, we'll discover that something has happened that changes everything. Little did Mary and her companions know that in discovering a tomb empty on that first Easter morning, they would witness an event that was to change the whole course of human life throughout history. Far from failure, the empty tomb changes everything. There was a famous um, philosophy professor at... um, the University of London, amongst other universities in his time, called Professor Joad, um, who was asked on a radio programme by an interviewer, um, if you could meet one person from history and ask them one question, whom would you meet and what would you ask them? And quick as a flash, he said, I would meet Jesus of Nazareth and I would ask him, did you, did you or did you not rise from the dead? Did you or did you not rise from the dead. You see, the power of the Christian faith hangs on Jesus rising from the dead. God sent Jesus that sin and brokenness in the world might be dealt with once and for all, so that people might live with and for God, blameless, faultless, standing before the Father. But imagine for a moment that the cross had been the end, that there had been no resurrection, that the the gossip of the soldiers in Jerusalem, once the empty tomb was realised, was the truth. Well, how different would the story be? And it would be completely different. The chief priests and the Roman authorities would have won. They would have killed God's son, And the story would end there. 
And the risk we run today as people who perhaps have been celebrating this story for a number of years and we're familiar with the gospel accounts of the resurrection is that we lose the sense of wonder and amazement that the women who gathered at the tomb had. That sense that of being witnesses to something which has changed human history and continues day by day to change the course of human life and history as we bear witness to the resurrection. And there's something wonderful about familiarity, but there's also a danger that in being overly familiar with the story, we become passive in our understanding of it. And I invite you this morning to regain that sense with the first witnesses to the resurrection of the wonder and amazement of the miracle um, that God worked. Jesus, the Messiah, really did defy death to come back to life. And it's worth noting that at times, skeptics have suggested various different alternatives to the Christian belief that Jesus was risen, is risen, that he came back. Um, people have suggested that he wasn't really dead, which, which is a view that's hard to um, uh, continue when you think about the ordeal, the very public ordeal that Jesus went through being tortured and flogged, being led to his crucifixion and being very publicly crucified. The Romans, of course, were experts at crucifying people publicly and painfully. And so the suggestion that actually Jesus wasn't really dead when he was laid in a tomb is very hard to sustain, and it's even harder to sustain um, the post-resurrection appearances where Jesus didn't just appear to his followers, but to many others as well. You know, if you went through that sort of ideal, the recovery time would be enormous. So it becomes difficult to sustain this argument. And the evidence we have through Mark's account and the other gospel accounts um, is convincing that Jesus did rise from the dead. But let's put pay to those who suggest, finally, that that resurrection didn't happen. Four quick points. The disciples were discouraged and frightened. Their response to the news of Jesus' body not being in the tomb is amazement, not cynicism. And so we see before us a miracle at work. Secondly, the disciples had not been expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. We get that from Peter's amazement as he rushes to the tomb and begins to process what had happened. The disciples were still understanding and processing all the teaching that they'd received from Jesus. And yes, Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead, but whether the disciples understood that and the way that was going to happen was another question. So they had no motivation to steal the body from the tomb if they didn't know what was going to happen in the first place. Thirdly, we know from scriptures uh, following the resurrection that Jesus appeared to many others um, who were not disciples in a period spanning some 40 days. And finally, there is the ongoing witness of the disciples. If, for instance, the disciples had stolen the body, why would they risk persecution, torture, and even death? and go on witnessing to this resurrection faith. 
And as we begin to look into the evidence for the resurrection, what happens is that history and science fall short in explaining how Jesus could be so publicly killed, laid in a tomb, but then leave the tomb behind and make further appearances to the disciples and others. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And the impact of this couldn't be more important. Jesus is risen. He is who he said he was. And if Jesus has defied death, then he's alive. And we're invited to celebrate not an inspiring historical figure, but a living God who is at work in our lives today. We're told in verse 8 of Mark 16 that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The impact of believing in the resurrection of Jesus was beginning to dawn on these three women. And the news was overwhelming. Their Lord was alive, but they had just seen him killed. If Jesus could defy death, what did this mean for their perception of who he was? And what would that perception do for their lives as they continued to try and follow him? And can you recall a time when you've received overwhelming news? And it might be overwhelmingly bad news, or it might be overwhelmingly joyous news. But can you imagine a time when you've been overwhelmed by news? How did that news impact your life and your perception of what life would be like going forward? So this morning, if you've been able to set aside familiarity with the story of Easter and enter back into the reality of the risen Jesus, how do you come to terms with what you've heard through Mark? what you've been hearing in the songs that we've been singing, in the scriptures that we've studied, the prayers we've prayed, the psalms we've read this morning. And what is the impact of Jesus being risen on your life? And I want to suggest that there are three effects of Jesus' resurrection on our lives today, and they are power, presence, and provision. Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the power of God. And we see that in the resurrection. Jesus has power over death itself. And whilst we can't get into much detail this morning, we know that one of the big questions that we struggle with in relation to faith in God is that we're so aware that there are wicked and evil things that happen in the world around us. Every time we switch on our televisions or or read the news or or we listen to others speak, we find out things um, that that are just plain wrong, um, that disturb us deeply um, and, 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 and cause brokenness in the world. And the reality of there being wicked and evil schemes that frustrate us is nothing new. 
Elsewhere in the Psalms, we would find Psalm 21, where the psalmist is frustrated by the schemes of the wicked and longing for God to intervene into that wickedness and evil, especially when such wicked and evil schemes appear to succeed. But the resurrection reminds us that Jesus has the power and however much there may be acts of wickedness, there is the presence of evil in the world. These things are only temporary. Jesus has power over life and death. Secondly, presence. If we were to jump from uh, Mark's account of the resurrection to John's account of the resurrection we find Mary mistaking Jesus for a gardener until Jesus says her name. At that point, Mary um, knows who it is who is talking to her, and there's no need for Jesus to identify himself any further. There is nothing greater in life, I would suggest, than the presence of God with us. And we all experience this in different ways. I often wonder if it wasn't meant to be Mary um, who stood and saw Jesus as the gardener and it was someone different, if it was you or I, how would Jesus reveal who he was to us? Would he just say our name? Would that be enough for us to know who it was that was talking to us? Or, Or would he reveal himself in a different way? How did the resurrected Jesus reveal himself to Doubting Thomas? Jesus reveals himself to each of us in different ways because um, he, he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be present in our lives. And Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, gives us this promise. I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the resurrection wasn't just an event in history It was the making possible of God's continued presence and power with us for all time, today, going forward. Thirdly and finally, provision. It seems that as a church in our reflections in the past year on Sundays, um, we keep coming back to the story of the Exodus. And I think it's appropriate to go back there again this morning. Why? Because it's a story of God's people having to learn, and the difficulty of having to learn, to live by faith, to be dependent on God as they spent that long period in the wilderness. As they left behind, yes, the oppression and injustice of slavery, but they also left behind the certainty of of life as they knew it. And they had to learn to live by faith, wholly dependent on God. And God's provision for them was complete and whole. God provided for them spiritually. They had the symbol of the Ark of the Covenant, which they carried around with them. God's enduring symbol and presence with the people of Israel. God provided for them in terms of their emotions and psychological well-being by providing them with with leaders like Moses and the gifted leadership um, that the people of Israel received, so that when they started to rebel and get resentful of the long period in the wilderness, God provided Moses and said, you know, you need to speak to the people and you need to give them these words. And God provided for them physically. He provided for their material needs too. And so when the Israelites needed bread, God rained down manna in the wilderness. 
God's provision for our lives is complete. Power, presence and provision. So as I come to a close, let's pause and reflect on what it means to us that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Far from the failure um, of the rumours spreading around Jerusalem in the days after Jesus' death, Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. And because of that, we can participate and partner with Jesus in his resurrection. What does that mean for you this morning? Imagine yourself standing at that tomb, amazed in the first instance that such a massive, heavily guarded stone had been rolled away. When had that happened? How had that happened? Not just physically, but where were the Roman guards? And then see the empty tomb in your mind's eye, knowing that only three days ago you had watched with the crowds as Jesus was crucified. Where is he? What's happened? What have I heard that's informed what I think has now taken place? And as with Peter rushing to the empty tomb, we see, um, we see it empty. What are we now thinking about Jesus and his power, presence and provision for our lives? Let's pray. Father, we stand in amazement that your ways are higher than our ways. And we ask you to forgive us for the times when we restrict your ability to the things that we might imagine that you could do. Thank you, Lord, that you are risen that you defy death and enable us to stand in the fullness of your life. Help us to be signs and symbols of that resurrection power to those who don't yet know you, that we may be an Easter people, taking forward your good news into all the situations we face and all the people we encounter. And we pray that as over the coming weeks we start to think about how you appeared to many, that you would appear to many here in Camborne, drawn alongside their lives, bringing your love and light to many more. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen.